Hello, everyone. I'm Elena Armijo, and I'm the founder of the C-Suite Collective. This is a company I created for executive leadership coaching and wellness that supports C-Suite executives, entrepreneurs, and founders. We support modern companies committed to fostering diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, holistic organizational growth, and generational impact for years to come. Now, more than ever, businesses are running faster and with fewer resources. Burnout, overwhelm, disconnection, and disillusionment are the new norm for teams struggling with an old paradigm. At the C-Suite Collective, we believe deeply that providing massive support for your teams through executive coaching and holistic practices will create an inclusive culture, higher levels of performance, sustainable change, and the organizational impact you desire. You can find us at the c-suitecollective.com. Today, we have with us Hilary Hoffman, who is such a light and incredible soul and an entrepreneur and a founder. After nearly a decade in finance and spending her time most notably at Goldman Sachs and Oak Tree Capital Management, Hillary launched her first fitness platform called The Soto Method. What I love about this conversation is we really talk about agency, creating agency in yourself that can then transfer into your life, uh, specifically through physical movements and your body. But just like we talk about with everything in coaching in the collective corner, really about leading your own life. We hope you enjoy the episode today and remember something powerful resides within you. We're here to support you in seeing it and creating it. All right, Hillary, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm so excited to have you on the collective corner. And in a manner of speaking, I love you dearly. And um, I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me. I love you right back. And it feels very full circle to be here with you on this podcast today. And I really thank you so much for inviting me on. It does. So I want to talk about today how uh, you got integrated into the C-Suite Collective, but also how we met. So do you want to share a little bit about how we found each other? Um, so yeah, I think what I'd like to do is almost take a few steps back as to where I was before I met you. And to make it really quick, I started my career at Goldman Sachs in their analyst trading program, uh, specifically in the securities division, trading and selling stocks. Um, was it my passion? Not quite. However, I knew it was an environment where I was going to meet extremely Mm. intelligent people. (laughs) I was going to come across incredible leadership and I was going to really build out my soft skill set that I knew at that time, making that investment into those six or seven years in that environment, it would, it would, I thought at least, serve me long-term. How to interact with people, how to connect with different individuals from different backgrounds with different skill sets. And then most importantly, how as myself as an employee and as a colleague, how could I bring out the best in them? Because that was one of my favorite things to do, um, even on the trading floor. And after my time at Goldman, I made a pivot within the industry and I landed in a spot that I was not particularly happy in. And that unhappiness brought me to a place of self-discovery. And during that whole process, what I decided to do was instead of thinking, okay, this is what I want to do next, I decided to have conversations with as many humans as I could. There was no agenda other than tell me why you love your job. Tell me what you love about the day-to-day 
of your role at this company. And what I started to learn was that the people that loved their jobs the most, it wasn't necessarily industry specific, but it was a sense of agency that they got to access on a daily basis. And more importantly, they were in roles where they felt like they were utilizing their strengths on a daily basis. And I had come to a place where a lot of the friction I experienced in finance, I was I was good enough at my job where I could have 100% been happy if I had stayed there and pivoted companies once again. However, I decided to figure out what were my strengths and where can I best express them. And during this time, um, my now business, the Soto Method, was something I'd always come back to, whether it was as my own form of exercise or just a mental check that I would do with myself in regards to building that sense of mental fortitude. But I never really dove into it as a business until December of 2020, um, on my 30th birthday, I straight up had a reckoning with myself saying like, this can't be it. This, this literally can't be it. I am unhappy. Mm. I am. I, I feel like I'm not even close mm-hmm. to fulfilling my potential, but I knew that in order to be happy and to fulfill whatever potential I thought I had, that it was going to take a lot of strength and a lot of commitment and discipline. And it was going to take energy every single day of pushing the rock forward or pushing that boulder forward to where I wanted to be. And during this time, a dear friend of mine, Julia, um, she had mentioned about resourcing yourself and about creating a team that was there to support you. And I'm super lucky, incredible family, fabulous husband, uh, the most incredible friends. And so I felt like I had a really great emotional support system. But what I craved and what I needed was that professional person, professional being that was going to really be a mirror for me in deciding what was next and also holding me accountable to taking those next steps forward because doing what's right, doing what's the right thing for us to do, it's not easy. And so during that time frame, that's when I discovered the power of executive coaching. That's when we were introduced And during our first conversation, what I thought was so powerful was we didn't even Mm -hmm. talk about what I wanted to do today. Like, what would your perfect, perfect is a strong word. In your (laughs) dream world, what would your job look like? And we didn't even say titles. We just said like adjectives as to what that would be. And and we kept coming back to making those around us better, um, creating a Mm -hmm. legacy of kindness, creating a space where people feel Mm -hmm. welcomed. And also importantly, creating a space where people can build strength. And my life was, I wish I could keep you in my back pocket at all times. And like, hey, if I could be a professional hype woman, that's probably what I would have done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're the best. And and so I just felt like, again, this started to really push me towards maybe I lean a little bit more into Soto. And that conversation between us started at the beginning of January <laughs> Exactly. You'd be really good at that too. You'd be really good at a lot of things. <laughs> but what it took from me and what it took from you was a sense of, honesty that we were going to bring to every conversation and the actions behind those truths that I wanted to achieve all the different steps that were necessary to leaving a place that I was unhappy at and then proactively and deliberately creating this future that I so desired. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing uh, all of that and being so willing to share your experience as a client, not only as a businesswoman in your own pivots, but as a client in our work together, because you have been the epitome of practicing what you preach anywhere by, um, by hiring a team, by continuing to develop yourself, by working with me as a coach. What I'm curious about that I want, I would love to ask you a little bit more about is, you know, oftentimes people are in a conversation where they're 
they're wondering what else is out there. Like, this can't be it. I heard you say that over and over. And how did you know it was time? Because I think that a lot of people have that conversation, but there's something about when it reaches an edge or a point where it's just no longer okay to continue in the way you were continuing. Do you know what that was for you or do you have any recollection? I do. I, I think it was a culmination of the work environment I was in and coupled with the time and effort that I was taking through self-discovery and these conversations, because I know that I'm capable of happiness professionally. I know that about myself, but why wasn't I achieving that? Like, why wasn't that happening? I, I couldn't, I couldn't accept that this was it because I knew what I had left in me. And a lot of that was actually teased out by the great Glennon Doyle. Um, and I read Untamed right during this point of my life. And I think there's millions of people that can relate to this where if I'd read that book five years before, it would have hit me very differently. One, the enemy of true enough is good enough. And hearing that and reading that and internalizing that, it put a lot of, it, it, it created a lot of contextual, it rather, rather, it contextualized my experience. Why hadn't I left? Because I was good enough at the job. I could have completely figured out the right firm to be at and we would have been fine. And the other thing she talked about all the time, and this really led or played into the vernacular that I use in Soto, is this concept of like burning. And you're going to feel something as you pursue what you're meant to do or pursue what feels right to you. And a lot of times we can misconstrue that. And this is something you and I worked on. We can misconstrue fear for courage or courage for fear. And so what ended up happening to me was I had to come to terms with this burning sensation that I, that I was feeling like deep down for what I wanted to build, but in the same vein, not being afraid of letting that fire build and letting that burn intensify. And what I, I encourage everyone to do is live with the fear, live with the fear, put pressure on the fear, talk to the fear, because what ends up happening is just like a pearl in an oyster with enough pressure and time, that fear becomes courage. And the, and the feelings that we have around fear, the sensations that we have in our bodies and our minds and our hearts, it feels exactly like courage. However, the actions that those feelings create within us are very different. With fear, you stop. With fear, you stop pushing. When you start to recognize, oh my God, that's not fear, that's actually courage, you start to take steps forward. And that doesn't mean that fear is not going to creep up from time to time, but between the, the months of December 2021 and August, I was having a dialogue with fear every single day. And it's such a powerful exercise of just saying out loud, what, what is holding me back from taking that next step? And once you vocalize it, funny enough, it's a lot easier to step towards it because you're not so afraid of it. If we let it fester, if we don't know what's tethering us, then there's no way to untether it. So maybe you're saying, at least for me, I was like, oh my God, people are going to think I am stupid. They're going to think, who the hell does she think she is that she can actually pursue this path? And by just saying it out loud, I started to deal with it in a more real-time way where, you know what? The people that are going to judge me or look down on this decision, it's okay. I cannot invite those opinions in. I got to follow my own voice. And those whose opinions I really care about and cherish, those are going to drive me forward. That's not to say I wasn't met with feedback of criticism and or worry, but at least that was coming from a place of love, not from judgment. 
It's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing all of that again. I mean, you're dropping the gems of gold here. What I It's because of my work with you. Well, and your own work. What I what I'm most in awe of is how you are talking about this burning um metaphor and also how we deal with fear and courage together. And you were doing this, like Hillary, you pivoted in the middle of a pandemic too. So not only did you have normal human fears about what's next and if this is where you're supposed to be, but you also did it in the middle of a world that was um, unsure about anything. Um, so my my guess is the level of fear was heightened based on the unknown that was happening all around you and you chose. So brava. Absolutely. And yeah, and I think what's interesting too is like, there's definitely moments where like uh, my fear was exacerbated by the fear of everyone else. And so I carried that with me, but it was a great testing ground because I always thought to myself, if I can handle this, I'm going to be okay. So it almost plays better to like be in like the eye, not even the eye, like the actual storm when you're deciding to do something on your own, because you have to be, you actually start to recognize what is, what are my fears and what are the fears that are being projected on me? And I think that learning really quickly, like what those two different things are, and again, a, the the most very overused phrase, but a very powerful phrase is people can only meet you as far as they've met themselves. And so I started to really understand, like when I was talking to someone, was it, was were they coming at me because they don't believe in this or they don't believe in me? Or is it because they've never experienced this before and this is all that they know? And it's important to invite feedback in because it's the only way you improve. But being surrounded by so much fear during that period of time, I got very attuned to differentiating between what was out of love, what was out of judgment, what was because of the world, what was because of me. And it created a lot of clarity for me as I took steps forward because I knew I knew where people were coming from. And that's the other thing you always have to understand is that you don't know what someone else is going through. And when they tell you how to live your life, they may be just telling you all they know. Right. I love the compassion piece of that because it's such compassion and empathy that you're practicing amidst people who aren't necessarily in the arena with you, which is what Brene Brown talks about. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. 100%. So uh, listen, you've mentioned Soto a couple of times, but for everyone, please, what is Soto? How'd you just, how'd you create it? Tell us about your baby. Absolutely. So Soto was something that I had been creating in my mind for a very long time. I didn't have the words to express it for about 10 years. However, when I was in high school, I had an incredible track coach who used isometrics and a lot of cross-training techniques to like help us build endurance, strength, you name it. When I went to college, I never experienced paralysis in the gym. I knew what to do, and there was a lot of power behind that. Did I think that it would ever be my profession? No. Did other people ask me what I was doing and ask to follow along in the motions? Sure. Loved sharing that. But I knew my first step out of college, I really wanted it to be in an environment that was intense because I'm an intense person. Um, and I wanted to be in, in an arena where I was going to be surrounded by just exceptional leadership because that's, I know, end goal for me has always been to be the best leader I possibly can be. And the only way to become that is to learn from the best and quite honestly, to also learn from the worst. And so during my time at Goldman, I valued wellness and health so much. I also was in a profession where it was the most sedentary job. I was actually tethered to my desk from call it 7 a.m. till 4 p.m. because I was trading with the markets. Uh, and so I was really attuned to how little movement I was getting in my day. I was disciplined though. I was waking up early. I was getting it in. Given all the different programs and all the different 
um, conversations that were happening, I never felt like I was doing enough. No program ever made me feel like I was actually completing the exercise because I either wasn't walking the appropriate amount of steps or eating what I was supposed to or X, Y, and Z. Didn't think twice about it. But again, boutique fitness culture was booming at this time. So this is 2013. And so between 2013 and 2020, I was still operating this world of finance. Um, and I never loved a class so much that I really felt like it transformed my body. But also more importantly, I never felt like the language in the class really spoke to my reality. And I'll get into that in a second. But during the pandemic, again, I had another opportunity to now explore the virtual boutique fitness culture. And I took classes from, again, beautiful instructors, amazing classes. None of them resonated with me. So that was really the thing. It didn't hit with me. So I decided, go back to what you did in college. What worked for your body then? You have the time now to actually figure it out and actually be more important. More importantly than that, I had a real reason. I was at my lowest point mentally and physically, and I needed to pull myself out of it. Soto began when I would actually turn on someone else's fitness class and I would just use it as a timekeeper and I would <laughs> do my amazing. own thing. So I was doing isometrics and this methodology started to take place just for myself. And I was doing Soto for call it three or four months, three or four months alone. And then I started slowly socializing it. And that was kind of like the pivotal moment in January of 2021 when Soto became something more than just a personal practice because I started inviting people in. And what Soto is, was Soto was my response to observing that in the market, there were two styles of classes. There were classes in group A, really high in the approachability factor. So great instruction, the ambiance was fabulous, the energy was high, the movements were fun. However, for me, the time and energy that I was putting into that program, or rather the time and effort, it wasn't yielding the results that I wanted. And results for me were characterized by muscle endurance, muscle definition, and then this overall sense of mental fortitude that wasn't tied into the cliched fitness tropes that we've heard a million times over. Classes in group B, classes that were really high in the results factor. So you know that you kept going back. If you solved for consistency, you would see and feel the way you wanted to. However, consistency was difficult to achieve in those programs because your lasting memory, at least for me, was one of pain. And pain came from two ways. One, it was either not understanding how long we were going to engage, in, engage a muscle for so that we would start to overcompensate with our neck or our shoulder when we were trying to work our oblique. Or two, there was no emphasis on form. So you would start in a position that was already going to be compromising so that any motion that would build on top of that, you'd be engaging either your knee or your joint as opposed to like the deep muscle. Least original thought, I wanted approachability. I wanted results. We've all heard that before. The third layer that I wanted to add to a program, though, was efficiency. And that stemmed deeply, deeply, deeply from my time in finance. And when people ask, why didn't Soto come about sooner? It's because I wouldn't have had the vernacular or the awareness to deliver something with intention. And so Soto came from that background of the fitness landscape, coupled with my current reality and Soto was the answer to approachability, results, efficiency, and predictability. That's kind of like the ribbon that ties it all together. So Soto stands for 60 on, 10 on. Again, sometimes when you name a company, it starts the origin story. Eh, it works, but it becomes like such a long, laborious thing to explain. But once you get it, it makes sense. So everything starts in a 60-second isometric hold. So think plank, lunge, squat. We then go into 10 dynamic moves for 20 seconds each. More often than not, it's five moves that we're repeating twice. 
Either way, that's a working block of time of four minutes and 20 seconds. I stack different muscle groups on top of each other to deliver you a full body workout. The reason why it's so powerful is that that isometric is doing two things. One, for the approachability factor, we have 60 seconds to nail form. And you're going to get visual cues from me. I'm going to be speaking or rather talking to you about what you should and should not feel so that we can really set you up correctly. But what it's also going to do is it's going to get you into that deep muscle burn ASAP. And we do not build muscle endurance or muscle definition from finding the burn. We build it through sustaining. And again, going back to approachability, you know that we're doing cueing, fatiguing the muscle for four minutes and 20 seconds. There's a lot of power when you know what to expect because you get to control your energy. You get to control the range of motion. You get to control the speed of what we're doing. I don't. You dial that knob up or down to match the intensity level that you're looking for. And then last but not least, the efficiency of it all. And this is where, at least for me, the magic comes through your active recovery in the isometric. So there's no time in class where I, as your instructor, am engaging a muscle group where you're not. So for example, if we're in a 60-second arm hold, we then go into our 10 dynamic moves for 20 seconds each. I can have you drop the weights and meet me in a squat in three seconds. While I have you there, we're going to nail your squat form. And more importantly, while I have you there engaging the glutes, the quads, and the hamstrings, I can demo the five moves that we're repeating twice. You're not idle. You're not stagnant. We're doing it together. And again, I would not have understood how important that was unless my time was so limited that every second that I was working out needed to be, needed to be directed towards building strength. And so that is just like the physicality of the workout itself. So in any given class, I'll be stacking cardio, arms, legs, your glute, abs on back, planking. That will be a class all threaded together through that isometric. But when we take a step back and I think about the mental component to Soto, and I talked about this before, what had I discovered in all my conversations with people that were happy in their jobs? The happiest people in the world, why, why were they that way? And it's because they understood and had access to their agency. During a very difficult moment in my life, mine was stripped away from me and I needed to rebuild it. And I'm so passionate is like a strong word, but I, I really am committed to helping people discover this because I know how transformative it was for me. And the way that we build agency physically is I'm not telling you go girl or yes, you can. I am telling you, yes, you can, but I'm telling it to you in a way where you can actually apply it to your personal and professional life because that's what's important. And so when you're holding a plank for 60 seconds, doesn't have to be 60 seconds on the first day. Maybe it's two seconds. Maybe it's three. Maybe it's five. But if you have commitment to accessing your agency and to saying that I can hold for an extra second longer, guess what happens? On day five, you've gone from holding a plank from five seconds to six seconds. You are physically witnessing your agency in physical form. It's not just me saying I'm going to hold on to patience or I'm going to hold on to my integrity, or I'm going to hold on to my self-worth. No, you physically saw it happen. And you can then take that experience with you and channel it into discovering your sense of excellence in your relationships or in your personal life. And that's what it did for me. I rebuilt all of the things that were intangible that I thought I'd lost grasp of. And I built it through planking. I built it through Soto. And I know that my clientele don't get me wrong. There's a place for dreaming and manifestation. There's a place for getting deep and emotional and spiritual in your practices. But when I'm building strength and I've got a meeting in 45 minutes, that I'm not looking for that at that point in my day. When it's 7 a.m., 
I want to know how can I be excellent in the hours to come. And Soda is going to meet you there. And as somebody who participates in Soto with you, meaning I've been, I've, I've been, I don't know how long I've had my membership now, but I think it's been like seven months, maybe seven or eight months, maybe longer. Um, that's what I love the most about it is the ability to say, what kind of a workout do I want to have today? What am I feeling? Where do I want to spend my energy and time? And then to say, oh, nope, today is a perfect Soto day. <laughs> I need to put it on because I need, um, efficiency. I need bursts of energy. I need all of that beautiful um, thought that you've put into what you've created for me. So I don't actually have to think about it. I can just show up and I can trust that you've, you've done all that work. And I really just acknowledge what you've created for people as an access point to something different. So it's really, really lovely. And I, I want to ask you, um, you know, you are a member of the C-Suite Collective. We have you listed as one of our practitioners, holistic practitioners um, on the platform. And one of the reasons that I was so excited to have you on is because you really think in multi-layers of fitness, right? So it's not just a fitness person on the platform that we're filling a hole or a need, but you, I think that a little bit of what you shared today, I can really hear the philosophies that you lead with, which is you know, what the C-Suite Collective is bringing to organizations everywhere is this whole mind-body approach, this wholehearted leadership approach. And you have really spoken to that. And so I'd love to know, what do you see for organizations that are willing to have conversations around bringing Soto in? What's possible there? I think what you said before was really powerful and I really appreciate it, which was you can show up to Soto and just trust it you know that there's going to be thoughtfulness and intentionality behind the programming. And you know that the number one person that's considered when I'm instructing or when I'm designing a class is you. And that's what I wanted the end client to feel was trust for a program where if you, if you again, because I can't solve for consistency, that lies with the client. But if you could solve for consistency, this program was going to deliver results. And when I'm thinking about working with larger organizations, first off, and especially like, companies that, again, I admire, love, and respect, I know that those employees, the men and women sitting at those desks, because I sat there, the programming actually mirrors the reality. And I think a lot of times with fitness programs, it feels like such a departure and almost such an escape that we can't carve that time out. And that's the difference between Soto. We're not escaping time. We're actually doing the complete and utter opposite. We're confronting time head on. And we're confronting seconds. And I know for a fact that when I used to, again, any project I ever worked on in the corporate world, I remember sitting at my computer, whether it be an Excel model or I was writing market commentary, and the biggest breakthroughs would come in during those final 20 seconds where you don't know what to write, but you know if you just push a little harder, if you hold on for a couple more seconds and you sit in that chair, something's going to happen. You're going to learn something. Something's going to click. And in my class, I kind of always come back to that. So for someone who's looking to bring on a fitness platform to their company and offer it to their employees, I think that Soto is actually an acknowledgement of how hard they're working. And it's an acknowledgement of their actual reality and the strength that they should be feeling physically and mentally in order to be at their highest level of performance while they're in that chair, whether they're working at an accounting firm, they're in finance, they're in private equity, they're a founder, they're in VC, you name it. It can be any of those disciplines. It can be any job. Doctors, doctors are some of my best clients because they don't have any time and 
they need to be as strong as humanly possible, mentally and physically. And what I feel so blessed about is that they actually trust Soto with their fleeting minutes. They don't even have hours, it's minutes. And that's, and that's what I'm so excited to deliver. And that's something that these companies can offer, a trustworthy program that's going to mirror their employees' reality and give them a realistic way to build strength. And what do you think is possible if you have companies actually taking that on? So like one layer up, right? Yep. If, if everybody's um, accessing this program, utilizing it with their own version of consistency, as you said, and as a collective, what does that create in the world? This is where I feel so lucky. End of the day, Soto was built on the backs of remarkable friendships, generous friends, selfless friends. Because a lot of times when you have a product, it's like maybe it's a, it's a consumer good or you're putting it on your body and you're wearing it or it's a food that you're eating or you name it. I was asking people for their time and I'm not looking for just a minute. I was looking for like 45 minutes and they selflessly gave that to me. And so my friends were my first clients because I love them, I respect them, and I wanted them to have a place where they could arrive at. What I didn't understand or what I didn't know at the time was that the people who were using Soto, it was just the end client all had something in common. And it was just like a commitment to excellence in their relationships. And that is why my favorite part about a Soto class is right when it ends, after we've brought the heart rate back down and we've, we've breathed a little bit, connections are formed. And it's because it's such a like-minded client where they're not there for vanity purposes. Yes, we're, I want to get you ripped. I want to give you a six-pack. I'm not going to not do that. <laughs> but you're in it to get strong. You're not in it as a voyeuristic way of showing off. And I think there's such a large difference between having confidence and then having hubris or being comfortable with your ego because we all have one but then also inviting other egos in to share in what you're creating. And I don't know how it's happened, but when I see a group of people sodoing and then I see the connections that come afterwards, or I see this Soto client who I've loved for the last six months and they bring their friend and I'm obsessed with their friend. Why does that happen? It's a like-mindedness of a commitment to building your own agency and then allowing others to access it themselves. And and what I think is interesting, and I'll, close, I'll just wrap it up with this, there's a big difference between forming a community and forming a cult. Soto's a community. You can be obsessed. You can take it five days a week. You can come to the in-person class, but it's approachable. You, you're inviting that next person in. You're not saying, oh, hey, we're filled up. Like you, There's no more space for you. It's like, no, no, there's always space. And that's something that I'm still figuring out how that happened and how can I keep growing that because it's really powerful when... You feel like you can build strength in a collective, not as an individual. And also you're inviting someone next to you. And again, this is the, the issue with, again, specifically with being, working with women, there's space for all of us to be exceptionally strong. And the Soto mm -hmm. person invites that in. I really get for myself that that's a place to continue to grow leadership in the world too. Like when you said agency and strength, um, it allows for others to have different types of agency and strength. That's yes. what I'm getting from community, right? Versus one way or um, everybody has to look, literally look physically <laughs> the same way, but, but also be a certain way. And what I hear in your programming is this allows you to be in relationship with yourself first and foremost, which then 
as you see other people differently um, in their true versions of themselves. 100%. I couldn't agree with that more. That's so beautiful. Well, for somebody who's on the fence about either trying your program or jumping into any kind of physical fitness in general, what would you say to that person? I would say to that person that the beautiful thing is, I know you can do anything for a second. That's what I know. I don't care where you're at. You can give me one second. You can give yourself one second. And the reason why Soto for me has created an approachable environment is that I'm going to give you what we're working up towards. Because it's good to have goals. You, you have to have something you're pushing towards so that there's a purpose behind the movement. But what I think that Soto does elegantly that I'm proud of is two things. One, seconds at a time. Seconds are your building blocks. They're your infrastructure as we build towards 60 seconds, as we build towards 20 seconds. So mentally, you can get behind that. Additionally, especially with Soto, 99% of it is body weight. And so what I'm giving you is the ability to scale range of motion. So for example, how far wide are we stepping with our crab walks to depth of motion? How deep are we bringing that lunge? Again, we can bring it all the way to the ground or we can stay at a really high level. Speed for doing burpees. You can go slow or you can go fast. The class is based in time, not rep count. So if you don't make it to the quote unquote 10 reps, no one's going to know because no one's counting. I'm counting for you. I'm controlling the time so that you get to focus on strength and strength alone. The other thing I would say to it is when it comes to picking any program and the consistency of it, Soto is very modular. So I'm stacking different muscle groups on top of each other. So I create a program called the Soto 6 series. And in one of my Soto classes, in a typical Soto sculpt class, we're going to hit every muscle group once. Cardio, arms, legs, right glute, left glute, abs on back, planking. And for this series, we kind of wrap the glutes up into one bridge series. And so what I allow you to do is stack those different sections one day at a time or one week at a time so that you can build up to the full class, but you get to control the pace and the speed. Because at no point do I ever want you to think that me not making it to the second block of class or me not making it to the 13th second means that I failed. It's like, no. You've made it from 12 seconds to 13 seconds. That's a win. And then to take a bigger step back, the only way we really can build strength is by removing pain. And so it's not something I talk about like a ton because being safe in a program, it's not like the sexiest thing to lead with like, hey, my program's safe. Truth be told, I have a board of advisors for Soto and one of them is a gentleman by the name of Dr. Lynn Berman. He's an exceptional um, physical therapist in New York City. And again, Super connector Julia brought him into my life and we had many conversations about Soto's programming and how can we make this safe so that anyone coming in, we can stay away from uncomfort in the joints, in the neck, in the back and engage and activate muscles correctly. And so with Soto, I'm going to be giving you a lot of verbal cues to make sure that you know what you should feel and what you shouldn't feel. And anytime we feel something crunchy in the hip flexor or in the knee, you know what I'm going to tell you to do? I'm going to tell you to stop, modify. Because the only way we're ever going to achieve higher levels of performance is by modifying, breaking, so that we can re-engage the muscle group properly. No one pushes through pain when they're training. Athletes who compete at the highest level, sure, they will then, because that's the end goal. They're there, they're pushing. But when we're training our bodies, which is what SOTO is, it's a training ground, we never ever push through that. 
pain versus burn. So important to distinguish, distinguish the difference between the two. Same thing goes down to strength versus being tough. Very different. I want you to be strong. Being strong means breaking. Being tough means you push through. I don't want that. Tough versus toxic. A tough environment, personally or professionally, it's going to make us stronger. A toxic environment is going to break us down. And so having this juxtaposition between these words gives us the control of also determining and identifying what am I actually feeling? Then the power's back on you or the onus is put back on you. If it's resistance, push. I've given you the out if it's pain. You know Mm. you can break if it's pain, but if it's a burn, that's where we got to access agency. That's where we have to return to consistency. And that's where you need to push. Beautiful. Well, we have links for all the places to find you in this episode below, but is there anything else that you want to say to people to lead them into the next six months of their life as we're signing off? I would say trust the process if you're willing to do the work. And I think the work can look like so many different things. It can look like resourcing yourself like I did a year and a half ago, understanding where you need help because there's a lot of power in asking for it. Two would be lean into the fear. It can be a very, very powerful force if you allow it to be. And the way that you transform it from being an inhibitor to uh, a motivator is by being honest with yourself. Why are you feeling the way you're feeling today? Acknowledge it, live with it. And then eventually you're going to realize it's not that scary. And then the last thing I would say is, Wherever you're at, you just have to, you just have to try and you can't give up. I think that is the most important lesson I've learned in the last year and a half is there's going to be statements said about you. There's going to be actions that you see that might push you to stop in the process. But that's when you come back to all that work that you've been doing and that mental strength that you're building because you never know when you're going to have to access it. Mental strength is a muscle that we have to keep working on. Soto gave that for me. So then those crazy moments where I least expect it and I've got to channel my deepest level of integrity, I know how to do it because I've worked on it. And so just don't give up. That's like the number one thing. Just don't give up. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Hillary, for sharing your gold, your brilliance, your heart. You, um, I really hear your values come through, um, everything that we've talked about today and what you're, you're practicing in the world. I just thank you for being a leader who's willing, willing to take some risks, willing to grow, willing to put something out there that's of service for other people and still all while being human and doing it yourself. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And the cool part is if I fail, whatever that means, I can't fail myself because I solved a problem that I was facing and I have a solution for life. Yeah, for you. For Beautiful. me. And that is that is a great North Star and a great thing to fall back on. So if you're solving a problem for yourself, you can't fail. Mm. That'll be our headliner. So. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much again. You're the best, Elena. 